Hello everyone, and welcome to the Quorum Podcast. This is where academic medicine meets remote, austere, and resource-limited areas. Hello everyone, and welcome to College of uh, Remote and Offshore Medicine podcast. This is Dr. Francis Sakita, a board-certified emergency physician from uh, Kilimanjaro Christian Medical Center. I'm also a lecturer in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Kilimanjaro Christian Medical University College here at Moshi, Kilimanjaro, Tanzania. I'm also faculty with the College of Remote and Offshore Medicine, which has headquarters in Malta. So today I would like to introduce you to Kilimanjaro Christian Medical Center and later on um, talk about my department, Emergency Medicine Department. And at the end, I will share with you a very interesting case attended at the department for the sake of sharing knowledge with you out there and to build the interest. Maybe one day, if you'd like to come and visit our department or rather work uh, as an externship in my department. Kilimanjaro Christian Medical Center was established in 1971, and last year we celebrated our first ever jubilee of 50 years. And it's a hospital with a capacity of, with a bed capacity of 640, with several uh, departments. And it is developed to the extent that there are super specialized services that are being offered, such as nephrology, uh, dermatovenerology, dermatosurgery, uh, oncology services, Etc. So this hospital is the largest in the northern zone, and it's a zonal referral and teaching hospital. Due to the fact that uh, it's a zonal and uh, teaching hospital, we've had uh, students coming in of various uh, cadres, from undergraduate medical doctors, uh, from nurses, from those who are taking uh, allied uh, science subjects, etc. I am proud to talk about KSMC because this hospital made me who I am today. I did my undergraduate studies here, and after I graduated, I came back and worked here, and they managed to sponsor me and to go and do postgraduate studies in emergency medicine. And now I'm back, I've been back for the past five years, where I'm currently the head of department of emergency department. And I was lucky because I was the first emergence or I'm the first emergence physician in the Northern Zone uh, here at uh, KSMC. So just to talk briefly about the emergency department, uh, which actually was established in the year 2017. So you can see it's a new department. Before then, since we did not have any specialists around, it was not called an emergency department. It was just called a casualty, which was, it was just a single room uh, with capable of having or other accommodating three to five beds. So it was just a small room. It was poorly equipped. But in the year 2017, things changed. They expanded into a building where they kind of had a proper and uh, a proper emergency department where you have a triage 
you have a medical adult section, you have a pediatric section, and you have a trauma section, and uh, you have these medical records where registrations are happening on spot. And luckily, we have an in-house radiology and ultrasound rooms where if a patient requires an urgent ultrasound or x-ray, that individual uh, will get those services immediately. We also have uh, a minor theater in the emergency department. So these minor procedures, instead of doing them bedside, and if the patient is stable enough, will be sent to the minor theater for such procedures to be carried over there. So this department over these five years has grown in terms of uh, manpower, because I started as the first emergency physician and there were several registrars. So the biggest, my biggest role was to train these registrars at least to equip them with the knowledge and skill to be able to handle various emergencies in the department. And not only uh, registrars or general practitioners, some of you might know them by that name, uh, nurses, because there was no any um, nurse who had a background of uh, critical care. So I had to train both doctors and nurses so that we can work as a team. And with my presence and people knowing what emergency medicine is and uh, due to the growth of this, you know, the patient, the kind of patient that we see and treat and stabilize before sending them back home, emergency medicine became like, you know, the talk of town. And many people developed interest and they were sent to school, both nurses and doctors. And now we have five emergency medicine specialists and uh, two critical care uh, nurses, uh, two critical care uh, specialists who are nurses. So you can see how the department has grown over time in terms of equipping, equipping it with the right manpower so as to deliver the best emergency care to the patients who arrive in the department. In terms of equipment, again, if you look at back in 2017 and now, we have moved from not having maybe ECG point of care, ECG or ultrasound, and now we have the point of care ECG, we have point of care ultrasound, we have ventilators, we have an ABG machine of which it wasn't there five years ago, and all these other minor or rather small tests that can be done. So there are some challenges that we are encountering, but I would not like to talk about them here. But that is in a nutshell of what our cow hospital and department is. Something about that I would like to share with you is maybe if you're thinking of coming here to do your externship or to do your clinical rotation is this is the largest hospital and the most specialized hospital here in the northern province of uh, Tanzania. So we receive difficult cases. Why difficult cases? Because from when you look at our hierarchical health system, our health system in Tanzania is hierarchical, where you have a dispensary level uh, health facility, and then from there you have a district level. And then from a district level, you go to a regional level. And then from a regional level, you go to a zonal level. And with zonal level, if maybe a case is too difficult, it's sent to a national level, which is like 650 kilometers from my hospital. 
So you could see we are at the top of the pyramid. And uh, very good to be here because you get to see, I would say, all kinds of cases due to the vast number of departments that are currently in this hospital. So being at the emergency department, we're like the pool where we, we kind of receive everything and then we triage and then we assist and examine and then make a decision on where these patients could go. So having or staying at the emergency department kind of gives you a wide range of patients, being it pediatric, being it uh, trauma, being it you know, uh, medical cases. So it's a wonderful place. And not only that, our hospital is on the slopes of the highest mountain in Africa. So you could see that uh, we have quite a number of patients who are having uh, mountain sickness who arrive in the department. So our college is for remote medicine. Eh? You could get a chance to meet with these patients and to learn how these patients are being taken care of to have this experience which you probably not be able to find in other settings. So that's one. So just to kind of wrap it up regarding my department is we see up to 25,000 patients in a year. Okay? Most of these patients, approximately 60% of these patients, are coming because of medical conditions. And then 10 to 20% is you know, the trauma. We are located along the highway of Arusha to Dar es Salaam, where the National Hospital is. So there are accidents which occur. So we have a lot of trauma coming in. And the 10% is for the children who come in from various hospitals uh, for treatment. But now I would like to share with you a case. Today, I would like to share with you a very interesting case where we received a 29 years old male from a region which is near our hospital, like 200 to 250 kilometers from our hospital, who arrived with a complaint of dry cough, difficulty breathing, and abdominal swelling for two months. As a rule, as a general rule, when a patient comes to the emergency department, quick examination to rule out the life-threatening condition that the patient might have is done. And that is well-known or commonly known as primary survey, the ABCDE. So we did that. And we had a patent airway, which was protected. And we looked at the breathing and he was breathing fast with a respiratory rate of 40 breaths per minute. He had a reduced chest rise bilaterally and reduced air entry bilaterally. On uh, further examination of patient, there was no any significant um, finding except for reduced tactile parameters. And on auscultation, before auscultation, on uh, percussion, there was a stony dullness eh, on percussion bilaterally. And on um, auscultation, the patient had reduced uh, air entry and um, by basal crepitations. So looking at C, th this patient had features of being in shock by having cold extremities and a delayed cap refill of more than two 
seconds. It was tachycardic with a heart rate of 129 beats per minute and the beats were regular with good synchronicity. And the heart sounds were muffled, okay? And looking at this level of consciousness of this patient, this patient was full consciousness, full conscious, uh, pupils were equally reactive to light, and he had no focal neurological deficit. And we looked at his uh, random lab glucose, which was within the normal range. So on exposure, this patient had uh, bilaterally lower limb pitting edema, which was of grade two. The vital signs, yeah, the blood pressure was 80 over 50 millimeters of mercury, which was low. So the patient was hypertensive. The pulse rate was 129. Saturation in room air was low, 76. And the temperature was 36.7. So looking at this patient, looking at just this primary survey, you could just at least know what is happening in this particular patient. So, and I might pause here and say, maybe ask yourself with this information, what, what this patient might be having. So you could just clearly see that, yes, this patient is one hypotensive tachycardic, having a tachycardic and probably, Especially due to the findings in the breathing or the respiratory system, there is fluid in the pleural. So, either way, how are we going to uh, confirm whatever findings that uh, this patient had? One, before moving on to confirming, we have to take care of this patient. So taking care of or intervening in breathing, since this patient had low oxygen, is by providing oxygen. So this patient was given oxygen, 10 liters using non-rebreather mask, okay? And intervening in C, since this patient was in shock and with delayed capri fill and cold extremities, this patient had two large ball cannulas inserted at the antipibital of fluid resuscitation, where he was given um, one liter start and then after you know, 15 minutes to 30 minutes to be re-evaluated uh, to see if the blood pressure has gone up. Now, after having a primary survey taken care of, now usually a doctor likes to go back and you know ask some very important questions before further intervention, and this is called ample history. Okay? And a stands for allergies, so we would like to know about the patient's allergy, and likely the patient did not have any allergies. And we also asked the history of medication, and this patient had uh, was not on any medication. We also asked for a past medical history, of which this patient did not have any significant past medical history. So the L, the last meal, the patient had, had breakfast in the morning. So events which kind of led, like the history which led to this patient into the hospital or to have this condition, is this dry calf has been there for two months and it was dry in nature. And as time went by, it was associated with a progressive difficulty in breathing. 
worsening on exertion. He had uh, he easy fatigability, and uh, he denied that there was no history of fever or night sweats that was associated with uh, this cough. However, as time went by, he started noticing that the abdominal his abdominal abdomen was swelling together with the lower limbs. But what started is the lower limbs and then followed by the abdomen. Okay. So quickly, the doctor thought of, oh, maybe this patient is having pericardial effusion, which is causing the cardiogenic shock. Okay. So quickly, the doctor thought of one, okay, maybe my patient, since my patient is having a hypertension, now that I'm thinking maybe the heart is the one that is involved here. So what uh, he thought is to order an ultrasound to be brought by the bedside and to perform it. However, this doctor has had other provisional or other differential diagnoses. That is, maybe the patient is having bilateral pleural effusion, secondary to extra pulmonary TB, or maybe the patient is having pulmonary edema or pulmonary embolism severe pneumonia or acute coronary syndrome. So all these were just uh, kept in uh, as differentials and the doctor tried to rule them out. So he did a point of care ultrasound. What was found, and probably this will be uh, seen in the podcast notes, is the ECG with features of low voltage, okay, low voltage, and for sure you'll be able to, to, to notice. So with this ECG, he did uh, ultrasound, which showed massive eh, pericardial effusion, which was causing tamponade, eh, collapsing of the right ventricle. And this actually was the reason as to why this individual was having uh, hypotension, okay? So there was a massive, uh, pericardial fusion with collapse of the right uh, ventricle, okay? We did also point of care troponin, which was negative. The troponin was not elevated. We did zero status for HIV. It was non-reactive. And we ordered uh, additional tests like fever picture, renal function test, liver function test, serum electrolytes, and uh, chest X-ray and then abdominal ultrasound. However, these were not done because the chest X-ray and abdominal ultrasound were done later because we had to intervene. Yeah? So this patient was having pericardial tamponade. So we had to intervene by doing yeah, a procedure called pericardiosynthesis. So we did pericardiosynthesis. We managed to get a fluid serosanguinous fluid, approximately um, three to 400 mils. And post the procedure, we assessed the patient where the blood pressure went up to 104 over 86, 86 millimeters of mercury, pass rate of 89. So you could see the patient has gone out of probably shock because the pass rate has gone back to normal. Saturation actually improved eh? from 76 to 97 in uh, on oxygen. However, we reduced the amount of oxygen to 
five liters uh, a minute because the pension was saturating was currently uh, saturating in 97 uh, percent and after the procedure we repeated the point of care ultrasound which showed the cardiotamponade has decreased remarkably meaning the right ventricle was no longer collapsing so that was the success in this particular patient who came in the department in shock and due to the fact that there was uh, the appropriate uh, manpower the, the the doctor with skills uh, with the knowledge and skills to identify to quickly identify and intervene you could see we managed to save this life of this particular patient that's it for today i will share with you the images of this particular uh, patient so that you can learn a thing or two from this particular case and should you have uh, a question or comment regarding you know this podcast or this particular case i will be happy to answer um i think in the notes i'll write my email so that you have it uh, if you like to ask a comment or not only for this particular patient but you know anything about the department and SMC in general. So um, thank you very much. Looking forward to uh, have you in the coming uh, podcast. All the best. Thank you. This has been a presentation from the College of Remote and Offshore Medicine Foundation. If you would like to earn CPD credit for this podcast, you can join the Council of Members. Being a member of the college gives you free CPD credits, free access to the virtual field guide, and discounts on our e-learning courses. You can join the team on the college website, which is quorum, C-O-R-O-M, quorum.org.